Thanks for listening to Mosaic, a Jesus-centered communities podcast. Our goal is to help people experience a Jesus-centered life. You can find out more about us at welcometomosaic.info. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it so others can hear it as well. Enjoy the message. Hey, good morning, Mosaic. How are you? Yeah, most of you are doing all right? That's good. <laughs> hey, we're, uh, man, I don't know about you. That worship just was like, I don't know, it hit me hard this morning. Good stuff. So grateful for our worship team. Um, got a quick announcement before I begin with the message. Here in, man, less than a month, we got an amazing awesome men's retreat coming up. We did this last year at Bear Trap Ranch, just uh, in the mountains west of Colorado Springs. We had a great group of guys up there. And if you went, uh, you know how valuable it was, how amazing it was. I mean, it just the accommodations are great. The food is awesome. And two words for Saturday morning. If you know, you know, bullseye pancakes. That's worth the cost of admission right there. But beside that, the time that we had together, the communion time, just the time around the fire, all that kind of stuff, I'm telling you, it's worth it to take a little bit of a break. September 21st is a Thursday is when it starts. Starts in the evening, so you can work Thursday if you need to and come meet us that night um, all day Friday, and we come back on Saturday at a, night, at a decent hour. So uh, anyways, I want to encourage you guys to be there. You can sign up on our website. Um, you can also sign up there, put your email address in to get information about what's uh, with men's ministry. So when we send something out, you'll get that. Um, but also we have a Facebook page. I know a lot of guys just Facebook, oh, I'll do Facebook, but we have a Facebook page. Uh, Mosaic Men Denver, I think is what it's called. So anyways, uh, so we put all this stuff out there in various ways. And I really would love for you guys to be a part of this. The cost is, is 300 bucks. And I know it's like, wow, that's a lot. We're doing everything we can to keep the cost low. Um, but, uh, but two nights, the amazing food and accommodations, bullseye pancakes. I just, I can't begin to describe it. Ask somebody who went last year. Anyways, um, you know, no dieting at all. And so um, anyways, but I, I just encourage you to, to be a part of something like that, to be a part of this one. It's great. We're partnering with Forefront Church again, Pastor by Drew Tarwater. We know him. They're, they're a good friend of ours. And so they're bringing some guys down with us and we're going to have an amazing time. So guys, I encourage you to be that, be there, sign up and, but do it quick because uh, spots are limited. We only have room for so many. So, um, all right, let's get on with the message. So I, um, I lost one of our kids once. <laughs> Four kids. I remember losing, losing one of them. Um, of course, it was the fourth kid, right? Because, you know, four kids, it's the fourth. By the time the fourth kid comes, you know, you're the coolest parents on the planet, right? Uh, you figured out they're not going to break all that easy, you know? <laughs> and so our new motto with Morgan, she's our youngest, was, you know, God made dirt, so dirt don't hurt, right? That was our new motto. And so pick up that pacifier, put it back in your mouth, you know, whatever. But so we were at the mall, we were at Park Meadows Mall, and uh, I had Morgan with me. I needed to go to the Apple store. I needed to go to the Apple store. Um, she was five at the time, and Vicky had the other three because, well, she's mom, so she had the three, and I had the one. <laughs> okay, before I get too far into the story, about a month before this happened, uh, I, had a, I had a stroke. All right, blood clot just right up here, and uh, post cerebral artery, and uh, I was kind of out of it for a bit. You know, uh, recovery has been amazing, but um, I, 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 you know, 
I, I forgot a lot of stuff. <laughs> I was dizzy still, you know, a lot and, and things. I would just kind of uh, fall down periodically, you know, so <laughs> it was Vicky's fault for allowing me to supervise a child. So I had, I got done, I'm at the Apple store, I do my thing, I'm excited about my new stuff and uh, I, I get done with the Apple store and I go uh, and I call, Vic, I, I call Vicky to see where she is and I get to her and she's like, where's Morgan? <laughs> And so I'm like, what do you mean, where's Morgan? She wasn't with me. She was, you know, dealing with the after effects of the stroke was somewhat of a challenge, you know. Um, Like I would get a lot of steps in 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 Costco parking lot, you know, just kind of like, you know, walking around with my clicker. Where did I park? That kind of stuff, you know. I forgot everything. This time I forgot that I was the one who had Morgan. And so uh, I started running back to the Apple store. Mind you, you know, it was a challenge because dizziness. I looked like a a drunk guy walking through the, uh, running through the mall and I couldn't remember how to get back to the Apple store. I'm like, was it upstairs? Was it downstairs? You know, um, I, I, I know I didn't take the elevator, escalator, because escalators for me at the time were, have you seen the movie Elf, Buddy the Elf on the escalator? He's like going up. Oh, that moved, the, the ground moved. And my, my I no escalators at all, right? So I figured she was on the same floor. So I, anyway, I finally saw the Apple store. I run in and you know, you just can't run into the Apple store. It's impossible. There's a skinny guy with a lanyard right there, maybe a neck beard. And he's just like, well, hey, whoa, hey, you got an appointment? That kind of thing, you know? So I just kind of blow past him, you know. Morgan was fine. They had a little play area for kids. And uh, she was there. She had made a new friend. She always does that, you know. And I'm like, okay, Morgan, time to go, sweetie. You know, you know not, she, she had no clue that I, how bad of a father I was, you know. But uh, the feeling of having lost a child is indescribable, right? Tell me I'm not the only one. How many of you, same thing? Same. You, 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 you forgot your child. You left them somewhere. The others of you should write books, all right? How-to books or something. But when you realize that, that they're gone, and then you realize where they are, I mean, there's no skinny guy with a lanyard that can stand in your way to, to stop you. But there's a guy in the Bible that also lost a kid. Um, he didn't forget him at the market or the Apple store, Uh, his son actually left home. The Bible calls him the lost son, or more commonly, we call him the the prodigal son. And so let me, uh, let's read that. We're We're gonna turn to Luke chapter 15 here. Jesus tells the story of a prodigal son, of a lost son. Incidentally, do you know prodigal? We use that in the, in the, in the sense of wayward. You know, our wayward son, wayward child, they're prodigal. Look it up in the dictionary. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that they're, they're, they're lavish and careless with their spending. And so, and he was that. So anyways, I just found that out when I was writing this message. I'm like, oh, I, I had no idea. So anyways, I was using that word wrong the whole time. But um, so he's the lost son who prodigaled his money away. So let's look at at, uh, Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Jesus said this. He said, uh, there's a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. 
but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, we didn't let him finish. But the father said to him, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. We'll just kind of stop it right there. There's more to the story. You can read it later if you want. What we're going to talk about is in here. The word, uh, the word used for lost, he was lost. Uh, the, the story of the lost son does not mean that he was in an unlo- unknown location. I'm sure he knew where he was. We just know it was a distant country. But have you ever heard like uh, maybe the story of a, about like a sunken boat or something that says all aboard were lost? That's the kind of loss we're talking about. Hope, uh, implies a hopelessness, even a death. Um, when, he, when he took his share of the inheritance, he said, you know, I'm, I'm done. I, I want out. Give me my share of the inheritance uh, now. Basically, uh, it, w- it was like a death, as if his father had died and passed on his inheritance. See, this would, ha- this would have happened naturally and normally if the father would have died then they would have split up the, the inheritances between these two sons, right? But he says, I want mine now. And it's as if, it's, it's as if he's saying, you're dead to me, I'm dead to you. Pass on this inheritance now. And he left. And there was, a, there was, a, there was a, a, an actual separation that takes place. And then he lived the party life and it left him destitute. He ended up starving in one of the most humiliating, humiliating circumstances possible for, uh, 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 for a Jew, for a Hebrew, feeding pigs. Pigs were detestable. You know, they were unclean animals. We don't eat pigs, that kind of stuff. We don't have pigs, no reason to keep them, that kind of stuff. And he found himself wanting to eat what these pigs were eating here. A far cry from what he had in mind when he started out on his own. How many stories like that? You don't have to raise your hand, but how many stories like that have we experienced in our own lives? Man, it's a far cry from what I thought I was gonna end up doing, you know? And then in the midst of all that, he remembered his father's house. There, even the lowest servant was doing way better than he was. He's like, I've blown it. I've blown it as a son. I can't go back home. At least not in that sense. See, there there was this... Uh, you could almost call it a legal separation now at this time. The, the townspeople, you know, if, if, they, if they were, let's say they were in a village, in a town, and if, the, if he would have come back and the father would have said, I don't know you, you know, ooh, there's a familiar thing right there. Anyways, it ties in. But, uh, but he's like, you're, you know, we're done. The townspeople would have, would have upheld that. They would, there's, you know, he's, he's correct. He's justified in doing this stuff. Really, if, he wants, if the son wants to come back home, all he can do is be a hired servant here because uh, he's blown it as a son in that sense. So maybe, just maybe, my father would have enough compassion 
to hire me as a servant. I think, bringing it to us, I think we can identify with that. Um, not that we've told God, give me my share of the inheritance and he's, he's given us all this stuff, not like that. But uh, we, when, when we think about God and coming to God and coming back to God or whatever, we, we kind of go through this, no way God would want me. God's ashamed of me, I'm ashamed, he's ashamed. Uh, I, I need to work off my sins. How many times have we heard that kind of a phrase in some way, shape, or form, or said that kind of thing in, in some way, shape, or form? Where the son was in his situation, and he realized, this isn't working for me. I, I need to go back home. But, but then that feeling, but I can't. I can't go back home, you know? So I'll just, I'll just try to crawl in as, as the lowliest servant possible or so because of the shame and the guilt. And you can't tell me that we don't experience the same thing. What the father felt, though, was nothing at all like the son thought the father would feel. What, when the father saw his son, he felt what? It says he felt compassion. He felt such overwhelming compassion. And what follows are five of the most, some of the most remarkable words. Five words. He, wait. Five words. <laughs> he ran to his son. It just, it just gets me. I guess maybe because I've already written the sermon and I already know where I'm going with it, it just kind of gets me. <laughs> he ran to his son when he didn't have to. When to save face in the community, the best thing for him to do were, would be to ignore the son, feel the, feel the shame toward the son. But he, he didn't care about all of that stuff. He felt compassion and he ran to his son. That's what I'd like to focus on because the father of the story represents our heavenly father. The son, the lost son, represents us. And, well, I guess it depends. There's another son in the story. We didn't get to him. You can read it later, you know. But, but the father definitely represents God. And I know that from time to time, we all represent. This son represents us. He ran to his son. Man, before we go any further, can we just stop just for a second? And if you've ever been one of God's lost children, can we just thank him just for a second? I thank you, God. That when I was lost and I turned my heart towards you, you ran to me. And I only discovered that you were the one to take the first step anyway. Thank you, Lord. Man, we ought to give thanks for that every day, shouldn't we? I, I love the saying, not all who wander are lost. Uh, but I know that, uh, that, like the son in our story, I was lost in my wandering. This, this story is, is similar to one of three stories in Luke 15 that illustrate this point. In addition to the story of the lost son, it's the third story. Jesus tells two stories before this. There's the story of the lost sheep and the story of the lost coin. Luke 15, verse 4 here, it says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? The shepherd, the person going after, that's God. He goes after the lost sheep. The point is that he goes after that sheep. And the sheep is us. Luke 15, 8 
Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? Everything she's got to do. The woman in this story represents God. We are the lost coin. It's the same point with every story here. The point is that she carefully searches for her lost coin and does everything she can to, 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 to find that coin. The story of the lost son is yet another, another illustration of that same point. It's a little bit longer. It's a little more dramatic. But the point is, God runs to us in our sinful, messy reality. He runs to us in our sinful, messy reality. He's the one that initiates that reconciliation with us. That's what he's already done. That's what he continually does. I think that, 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 that's something we can believe. God took the first step, right? God so loved the world, he sent his son. Jesus died on the cross for our sins a long time ago, for ours even today. He took the first step. I think it's something that we can believe, but sometimes I feel like we have a hard time acting as though it's really true. You know what I mean? I believe this. I believe it. I believe that God is merciful. I believe that God is loving and gracious and all these kinds of things. And I, I hear it said over and over. And I would tell somebody else that, that man, when we're in sin, just, just, you know, when we find ourselves in these situations, come to God. He will love you. He will accept us. But personally, we have a hard time doing that, don't we? I know with me, sometimes it's, it's, it's like the last thing I, 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 I feel qualified to do right now is pray. Anybody else feel the same way? I recently read a, a, a good book. Um, it's a great book. I'd recommend it to you. It's called Having the Mind of Christ, Eight Axioms for Cultivating a Robust Faith. Having the Mind of Christ. Um, the, there's eight axioms in there. And the fourth axiom is, is the, you know, uh, God meets us in our messy reality. And I'm reading that. I'm like, that's exactly what I'm preaching on Sunday. So, so that was actually really cool to be planning this and then to read, be reading the book. And I'm like, oh, wow, look at that, you know. But uh, so I kind of changed my wording to kind of match what the book said because I like the way they said it. God meets us in our messy reality. You see, you and I stumble in many ways. And I bet it's usually the same old stuff, isn't it? We normally feel shame, and our common response to that shame is avoidance or hiding. It's easy enough for us to believe that God meets us in a messy reality, but still we hide. Because you see, many of us, just like that bumper video, many of us have been talking our whole lives, uh, been taught our whole lives that our sin is so abhorrent to God that he can't, won't even, can't even look at us. That if we sin, God's, God, God, God loves us but can't stand to be around us. <laughs> Think about that for a second. How is that even possible? I love you. I can't be around you. I did say that to one of my kids one time, though. <laughs> it was a totally different scenario. They were throwing up. I can't, I, I can't do that. I'm like, I love you. I can't be around you right now. <laughs> that kind of thing, you know. So Totally sidetracked, side sorry, but totally different situation. That's not what we're talking about. We say that our sin, we've come to believe, you know, that, that our depravity repels God. Now look at the overarching story of the Bible. Is that how it is? Is that how God, our depravity repels God? If that's the case, God would have left 
the galaxy millennia ago, wouldn't you have? Right? Now, it's true. We're born into sin. We possess this sinful nature. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Eve. Right? We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible is clear about that. But I want you to know that that doesn't make you disgusting in God's sight. Does God hate sin? Sure. Does God love you? Yes. Does he love you more when my kid's throwing up? <laughs> and I'm just like, that is nasty. It's disgusting. I can't handle being around that. Somehow I was always the one to clean it up, though. I don't know. How, do you, how did she do that? I, I, I don't know. But anyways, but, uh, but my love for my child uh, overcame the grossness of the situation. That's exactly how it is with God and us. Sometimes our, our sin causes us to deny our messy reality even. Oh, we're acutely aware of our own shortcomings, but we keep them buried so we don't, and we don't deal with them. We just say, I'm, I'm going to do better next time. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to start doing that. Is that the way to be saved? The answer is no. Until we fall into that same old trap again because we, it's impossible for us to just do better, you know? Some people don't want to face their own sinfulness. We've all heard it from time to time. I'm a good person. That ought to count for something, you know, right? And I would say, yeah, that's, it's, it's good to be a good... My number one advice for Christian men, stop being a jerk, <laughs> you know? <laughs> be a good person. Kind of the, so it is important, right? But that statement really is a complete and total avoidance uh, of, the, of our own messy reality, you know? I don't, it, says, it says, I just don't want to think about it. I don't want to face it. I just hope when the time comes, I've done enough. But it's not about us doing better or doing enough. God has already taken the first steps toward us through Jesus, hasn't he? Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were dead in our sins, Christ died for us. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says this, Christ Jesus came into the world. He took the first steps. He came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, in the midst of my messy reality, it didn't repel God. It didn't make him not look at me. No, God came to me. He showed mercy. For that very reason, the disgustingness of my sin. Is that the right way to say dis disgustingness? Is that the right word? Anyways, you know what I'm saying. But uh, for that very reason, I was shown mercy. Who said that? First Timothy chapter 1. Anybody knew who wrote that letter to Timothy? Paul, the Apostle Paul, how did he come to follow Jesus? You remember, is it Acts chapter 9? Pretty sure it's chapter 9 of Acts. He was on his way to the town of Damascus to arrest and persecute Christians, right? He didn't want anything to do with Jesus at all, wasn't looking for him, was actively working uh, to oppose the message of Jesus, but Jesus reached out to him first. I heard Andy, you probably heard Andy Stanley say this, you know, and stuff, and I think it's so funny. He knocked him off of his onto his, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and Jesus came to him. Again, we see God initiating reconciliation. Instead of disgust, he feels compassion like the father of the lost son. Instead of contempt, he shows us love. But over and over again, we see God taking steps toward us. 
He initiates reconciliation. It started with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, right? He, he you know, they, they, they sinned, they eat, they did the, the one thing God said don't do. The one thing. And of course, you know, I'm the same way. We all have Dennis the Menace in us, you know. There's a button we say don't press. I gotta press the button, right? And so they're, they're the same way. And so, you know, however it happened, you know, we can read about it in Genesis 3. They sent, they did the one thing and they fell out and it says, and the Bible says they were ashamed, right? Naked and ashamed. And so it came and God came, it says in the cool of the day to meet with the man and the woman and what they do, they heard the sound of him and they, they hid just like we do. They hid. And then what does God do? It says, you can read this in Genesis chapter three, he calls out to them. Do you think God didn't know what happened? You know, he was confronting the issue, right? And so knowing what was going on, God came down to meet with them. They hide. God, God doesn't just say, well, if you don't want to be with me, whatever. Oh, I can't believe you did this. You know, uh, you know what? Forget it. I'm, a, I'm, I'm repulsed. I'm going to go start over somewhere else. <laughs> you know, it's not like that. God called out to them. He made a, a covering for them. King David, after his adultery with Bathsheba, you know, here's an interesting way to look at this. Uh, he, you know, he saw this woman bathing. Interestingly enough, her name is Bathsheba. It has nothing to do with the fact that she was bathing. But, um, but he desired her. She was already married. He didn't care, you know, and uh, he, um, he took her and they did their thing. Had, his, had her husband killed so, he, so she could become his wife. And what happened? He, he just kind of went on his merry way. God reached out to David through the prophet Nathan. God initiated that reconciliation through the prophet Nathan. It wasn't fun. It wasn't easy. But we read about the, what happened in, in Psalm 51, David's prayer. It created me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. That happened because God reached out to David through the prophet Nathan. Isaiah the prophet, before he was... The prophet saw God in a vision. He said, oh, I'm a sinful man. I've seen the Lord. This can't be good. But God, comes, God came, approached him, forgave his sins. Peter urged Jesus. Before Peter really understood who Jesus was and before Jesus had invited him to be a, be a disciple, he gets into Peter's boat because he's like, hey, can I use your boat? I need to talk to these people. And uh, there's this miraculous catch of fish and various things. And Peter's like, get, you, not, you need to get away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. What does Jesus do? He's like, no, you're going to come with me. You're going to be fishers of men. Jesus, he, Peter's saying, actively saying, get away from me. And Jesus said, no, 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 I want you. Jesus encountered a tax collector named Zacchaeus, the wee little man, encountered Zacchaeus, and he says, hey, I'm coming to your place today. Look, so many instances in the Bible where our sin could disgust and repel God, where he would say, I, you know, I can't even look at you like that. But what does he do? He looks toward them. <coughs> Excuse me. The woman... Um, who broke the, uh, the alabaster jar over Jesus' feet when he was at the home of uh, this Pharisee guy. And, uh, and they were like, if he knew what kind of woman this was, because she had been a prostitute, if, you knew, if he knew what kind of woman this was, he wouldn't let her do that. And it, says, and it specifically says, looking at her, looking at her in the face. He's talking to Simon. He won't stop looking at 
her. He comes to us. He's the one with the greater love. He's the one that initiates reconciliation, that loves you so much that he's already done everything possible to be in right relationship. When we are at our worst, God is at his best. When we're, I guess he's always at his best, but uh, when we're at our worst, God's at his best. You can tweet that. No, you can't do that anymore. You can X that. I don't even know what that means. So, Paul, the same one who called himself the worst of sinners, told us about his weakness. He's, he, he's some, strength, some stuff that he struggled with in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He was dealing with sin. Some people have, have tried to minimize what Paul, you can, if you want to read this, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and he said, talked about this thorn in his flesh. And some people, because we're so pious in Christianity, they're like, you know, Paul couldn't have been dealing with, with something too terrible, you know? And so, you know what the most common excuse, uh, thing I, I read about in commentaries? The thorn in his flesh? They say, it must have been poor eyesight. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I'm pretty sure Paul was dealing with sin. I mean, read Romans chapter 7. He talks about sin and I keep doing it and this kind of stuff. And we, we can identify with that. And in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, he says three times, in verse, starting in verse 8, three times I pleaded, why three? I don't know. We just keep moving. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. When we're at our worst, God is at his best. Such lengths that he's gone through, gone to, in order to reach out to us. You know, um, one passage that's always kind of baffled me. I've kind of come to a place of, of what I feel like I understand it now, but for years it just baffled, baffled me of why was Jesus baptized? Um, we read about this, Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to skip around a lot to kind of keep the story flowing. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of, uh, of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized him in the Jordan River because John's baptism was one of repentance from sin. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And that's what always tripped me up. You know, we, we know Jesus to be the one who had no sin. He who had no sin became sin for, you know, no sin. But John, and so John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you, do you come to me? Jesus replied, and somehow this convinced John. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. What was he up to? Fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? You know, did John just do it because, uh, because um, well, you said so, so even though I don't understand, there probably, there may have been a little bit of an aspect to that, but John also knew who Jesus was and what his purpose was. It's proper to fulfill all righteousness. The act of baptizing Jesus set God's plan for the Messiah into motion. It was the beginning of his public ministry. The messianic purpose 
bring people into relationship with the Father. That's, that's ultimate. If you break it down to one thing, that's, that's it. Bring people, reconcile us to God. Jesus is initiating reconciliation with the Father through his baptism. From the beginning, this meant that the Messiah would have to suffer. Not just suffering through the cross, but he would have to, have to suffer humanity and being human. And now at the beginning of his public ministry, he suffers. Why baptism? Because baptism represents the darkness of my sin. I, I was lost and I, I, I'm dead in my sins, but I'm raised to new life in Christ. <coughs> he, didn't have, he didn't have any sin. Why, why was baptism that first thing? He suffers through identifying with us <clears throat> in our darkest state. Not through participation. He didn't participate in our sins, right? But identifying himself with us in the darkness of our sin. This is what I've come to redeem. People say, you know, some people say, well, Jesus learned over time who he was and, and what his purpose was. And it's like, nope, I think right from the beginning. Because right here we see it. He's identifying with us in our sin. He knows what his purpose is. And you and me, when we feel like that, man, I'm just so ashamed. I just, I, the last thing I can do right now is pray. You know, I'm, I just want to hide. He's the one that, he's the one that was baptized to identify with you in that state that you're in at that moment, right? He's the one that died, that shed his blood to forgive us. His, that love of God that motivated the whole, everything that, that was, that he's done, was began and sparked and motivated by the love of God. And just a few years after his baptism, he gave his life for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 5. I think I already referenced this. Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God, not righteousness of my own, but his righteousness. And he did everything, paid every price to save sinners like you and me. And today, by his Holy Spirit, he's still running to us. So let's, let's just bring it on home now, right? Kind of, kind of summarize this. And I pray that it's something that, that stays in your heart, stays in your mind. We can mull over this because we're going to find ourselves in those situations at some point. God, I'm sorry. I just, I just want to hide. I'm so ashamed and all of this. God meets us in our messy reality, in our sinfulness, in our need of a Savior. We're often too ashamed to face God in our messy reality, but over and over again in the Bible, we see God taking the first steps to initiate reconciliation with his people. God became flesh in, and dwelt among us. He identified with us in the darkness of our sin and he gave his life so our sins can be removed and we can be reconciled with God. It all started because of the love that God has for us. He shows us mercy, the Bible says, not counting our sins against us, but graciously receiving us as sons and daughters. So let's put our faith in him today. Maybe you walked in here. Maybe, maybe you're in a situation where it's like, man, I, I didn't even feel like coming to church today because of all of this that we've been talking about so far, you know? But you're here, and that's good. 
The Bible says in Hebrews that we can boldly approach the throne of grace, not because of any righteousness of our own, that we're good about it, that, that we're good enough to, to be confident in ourselves, but our confidence is in him, the throne of grace. That's what he meets us with right now. We're going to um, end this time by receiving communion. Um, what an amazing expression of what God did, the steps God took to meet with us in our messy reality, right? And there's no, ulti- there's no greater ultimate example than of what we can actively participate in today. But first, I want to pray with you. Lord, I thank you. Mm. Paul said, uh, he was writing to... Um, well, now I can't remember who he's writing to, but he's the Galatians or the Ephesians. And he says, he says, I just wish that you could fathom how high, how wide, how deep, how broad the love of God is through Christ Jesus. I just wish you could fathom it. It's unfathomable, Lord. You taught, you taught your disciples. How often should they forgive? 70 times seven. Basically, just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. This doesn't make, that doesn't make grace cheap. It makes it awesome. <laughs> it makes it amazing. Maybe today you find yourself in that situation. It's like, God, I'm so ashamed of myself. Here I go again. Just right where you sit. God, will you forgive me? The Bible says that, that uh, was it First uh, John, I write these things to you that you don't sin. But if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, the man Jesus Christ. reach out to him right now. Maybe you're in a situation, maybe it's like, you know, I I can't honestly say that I'm following Jesus right now, that I've given my life to him, that I've put my faith in him. I, I can't say that I have, but maybe today you want to. Then I invite you just to do that where you're sitting right now. I want to put my faith in you. I believe in you, Jesus. And I want to follow you. You might, even, you might not even know the fullness of what that means. Well, that's what we're here for as a church. We, we, we learn, we teach, we learn, we help one another to know what it is to follow Jesus. But right now, you have enough faith to say, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want my sins forgiven. I want to be right with you. I don't want to leave it to chance. I, want to ju- I don't want to just ignore it and hope for the best. I want to follow you. In that moment, heaven just, heaven just comes down. Our sins are removed, that barrier between us and God. Mm. Love and grace. Thank you for that, Lord. 
Thanks for listening to this week's message. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We invite you to connect with us. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so at welcometomosaic.com slash give. Have a great week.